My name is R. Dallas Green, and I'm going to talk about another pastor for a little bit. His name is Andrew Brunson. He was the son of missionaries. <clears throat> you probably have prayed for this guy. He and his wife prayed, and um, God put on their hearts Turkey. And he founded what's called the Izmir Resurrection Church. While he was there, the president of Turkey, whose name is Erdogan, declared himself to be president for life. And there was an, a coup, an attempted coup on his life, or on his, on, his, on his presidency in October of 2016. Andrew Brunson was arrested on charges of trying to overthrow the Erdogan uh, regime. He and tens of thousands of Turkish military personnel, civil servants, and educators, academics, journalists, were incarcerated. He was in prison, in a Turkish prison, for 735 days. It attracted uh, worldwide attention. Uh, many in America and places in the world were praying for him. Uh, Vice President Pence negotiated on his behalf, and he's released. He just wrote a book. The reason I mention him to you is that <clears throat> the place we're going to talk about this morning, Smyrna, is the modern city is called Izmir. Ancient Smyrna is Izmir, the very church where he was pastoring when he was arrested, when he suffered persecution. And he, what he said about his persecution is that it broke him. He was in solitary confinement. He was interrogated. He was tortured. It was awful. He began to question his own faith. He had his doubts. It was awful. And what he says is that <clears throat> persecution is coming to America. And what he says is that we as Americans are not prepared for it. We're not pre prepared for what is coming. So my motivation in talking to you about this is to try to equip you with what God would say to his church. You know, while persecution takes many different forms, it's defined as any hostility experienced as a result of identification with Jesus Christ. And there's been a long line of those who've suffered in their faith for Christ. Why does persecution happen? Well, one reason is authoritarian governments seek to control all religious thought as a comprehensive plan to control all aspects of life. One example of that would be North Korea, where there are about 50,000 Christians in these death camps. Another example, another reason would be in some places like Niger, where Pam was just in, 98% of the population is Muslim. And they're suspicious of any activity outside of the majority cultural norms. Uh, another example of that would be like India, where it's the national religion is Hindu. And there are extreme Hindus who bring persecution against Christians. Uh, a group I worked with in Orissa in India, <clears throat> the, they were targeted for persecution. And their homes and churches were burned. And many of the people had to run for their lives. Extremist groups, number three, wage war against Christians who do not adhere to the law of Sharia. They terrorize communities and churches. And one example of that would be ISIS. ISIS in places like Syria, <coughs> where Christians have been targeted. And uh, now the concern in Syria is with the prison, holding ISIS prisoners, that they will again target Christians upon their release. There is a trend in persecution against Christian women. Uh, they seem like they're experiencing double persecution, one for being a Christian and second for being a woman. 
gender-specific persecution is trying to destroy women worldwide. And seven out of ten people persecuted live in Islamic cultures. Just to try to illustrate to you just a couple examples of what is happening in America because of this change in the culture. New Orleans Saint linebacker, his name is Demario Davis, was fined $7,000 by the NFL this October for wearing underneath his helmet a bandana saying, Man of God. Now, it's interesting in America, you can refuse to stand for the national anthem, but he was fined for wearing a bandana uh, with Man of God on it, you know, underneath his helmet. The NFL told him if he wore it the next week, he'd be fined double. That is our own country, where it is becoming increasingly unpopular to be Christian. Uh, In the most recent uh, Democratic debate, a candidate by the name of Beta O'Rourke said that churches and other religious institutions that oppose same-sex marriage should lose their tax-exempt status. He was asked this question, do you think religious institutions like colleges, churches, charities should lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose same-sex marriage? And he said there should be no reward, quote-unquote, there should be no reward, no benefit, no tax break for an organization that denies the full human rights, the full civil rights of every single one of us. Now, it used to be the tolerance meant that you and I could disagree, but we're going to still be civil to each other. What's happening in America is that if you choose to disagree, you're labeled a hater and you're dangerous. You see, God has already spoken about the subject of marriage. He said a marriage is between a man and a woman. For this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and leave Cleveland to his wife, and the two shall become one. So we are facing perilous times in America. I'd like you to turn to Revelation chapter 2 as we begin the eighth verse as we talk about the church at Smyrna. The church at Smyrna was a suffering church, and this is the second of the seven letters sent to the various cities of Asia Minor. You'll see behind you where there was a map showing the churches of Asia. The first one we talked with last week was Ephesus. About 35 miles north of that was Smyrna. It's kind of like the difference between Frederick and Hagerstown, sort of a northern expression there up in Smyrna. This was the postal route. So these letters were dropped off at these churches and read. Now, there's no correction brought to the church at Smyrna because it had suffered so very, very much. The price of being a Christian can be very high in hostile environments. And this apparently was a case in Smyrna. They were purified and they were spiritually rich. So let me give you a little background to the city. First, Domitian was the Caesar and he launched an extensive persecution against the church that reached fever pitch at Smyrna. You see, there's a price associated with being a believer. Oftentimes, hypocrites don't stick around when the church suffers persecution because false Christians don't want the pain. Persecution trials and tribulation suffering destroy false faith. At the same time, they strengthen true faith. And it's inevitable that there will be persecution for believers. It says in 2 Timothy that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Smyrna was 
famous for its production of myrrh. Do you hear it in its name? Smyrna, myrrh. For all you essential oils people, myrrh was grown in Smyrna. It comes from this tree, and they bleed the tree, and they extract this resin, and then they have to put pressure upon the resin to extract the oil. Myrrh is an oil taken from a tree that has to be crushed, and when it's crushed, it releases its fragrance. So the believers in Smyrna were being crushed by their afflictions, their poverty, their persecution, but they were emitting this beautiful fragrance. You remember the wise men who brought the gifts to Jesus, to Mary and Joseph and Jesus? They brought frankincense and gold and myrrh. You see, myrrh was something they gave to Jesus upon the cross. It was a wine mixed with myrrh. And when Joseph and Nicodemus put Jesus in the grave, they put 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes on his body. It shows the suffering character of this church. As it was being crushed, it was emitting its beautiful fragrance. In Smyrna, there was a very strong emperor worship cult. They killed people that did not worship Caesar. Each citizen was required to burn incense at Caesar's altar. They would say that Caesar is Lord, and then they received a certificate. To be without the certificate was a risk being caught and killed. It was here in Smyrna that the pastor Polycarp would not bow his knee to Caesar. So with that opening word, let's see what the Scripture says to this amazing church at Smyrna. Here's what the Scripture says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions, and I know your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days, but be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. He begins, first of all, by making identifications of himself. Jesus speaking, saying, I am the first and I am the last. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the God who was and who is and who is to come. I was there at the very beginning. I am the creator of heavens and the earth. I am the sustainer of your life, and I am the consummator of all of history. He wants them to know that he was there before there was a Smyrna, and he will be there after there was a Smyrna. He was here before there was an America, and he'll be here after there is an America. I am the God who became incarnate, who died for you. He wants them to know about dying, that since he died, he also came back to life. He's reminding them that if they should die in persecution, they'll not experience anything that Jesus himself did not experience. And should they be martyred, they will not be cut off from his resurrection power. You see, Jesus suffered the most unjust, severe persecution, even unto death, but is now alive. He's promising them that if they should die 
they will also live. Now he brings out this truth. What does he say about them? What does he know? His commendations. The first is, I know about your afflictions. I know about your troubles. I know about your trials. I know some of you are healthy and strong. And some of you are facing health challenges. I know some of you are dealing with Lyme's disease that was undiagnosed when you were younger. Some of you are dealing with a cancer diagnosis. Some of you here are dealing with chronic pain. A car accident that was not your fault. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You see, oftentimes we become surprised when trials come. Peter said, don't be surprised at the fiery trial which will come upon you. Jesus said, in this world you'll face tribulation and trials, affliction. We question when we suffer God's goodness. We wonder what we did to deserve this. But God did not create a world with suffering, injustice, and pain. When Adam sinned, suffering came into the world. There was a man whose name was Job. And Job was a righteous man, a man of integrity, fearing God. He was so spiritually sensitive that he offered sacrifices for his children, lest they, if, if they had sinned. He had a beautiful family. He was very, very wealthy. 7,000 sheep, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-donkeys. You know why it mentions she-donkeys? Because a she-donkey was the best ride there was. You always want to ride a she-donkey, not a he-donkey. And so Job was... Um, Job was healthy and Job was wealthy and the angels presented themselves before the throne. You see, the story of Job is sort of like two stages. There's something happening on earth to Job, but there's also something happening in heaven. And the angels presented themselves to God in heaven. And God said to Satan, where have you come from? And he announced from roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it, looking for someone to devour. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him, blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Satan said, knew of course who Job was, and he sneered. He says, does Job fear God for nothing? For nothing? You have put a hedge around him, all he has, and blessed the work of his hands. But strike everything he has, and he'll curse you to your face. Now, you see, Satan's argument was that no one serves God for who he is. Mankind only serves God for what he can get out of God. So there were four different attacks on Job. The first attack, the Sabaeans took his oxen, killed his servants. The second attack, fire fell from heaven. His sheep and servants were killed. The third attack, the Chaldeans took his camels and killed his servants. But the fourth attack was perhaps the most devastating all his 10 children were killed when the house fell upon them. But amazingly, Job did not do what Satan said he would do. He didn't blame God. He didn't curse God. He didn't renounce God. He got up. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship. And this is what he said. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. 
The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a man. In the midst of his trials, he trusted God. He knew the Lord had given to him, the Lord had taken away, but Satan was not finished with him yet. He afflicted Job with sores from the top of his head to the crown of his, to the crown of his head, the soles of his feet. And you, this picture of Job at the garbage heap, he's gone to the garbage heap to grab a piece of broken pottery and scrape his sores. And his wife says to him, Mrs. Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job says, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And it says in all of this, Job did not sin by what he said. You see, here is a man dealing with trials and tribulations and afflictions. A man who had much and lost much who was grappling with his loss like you grapple with your losses. And Jesus says, I know about your afflictions. I also know about your poverty, he says. Now, the word poverty here is the word like we can't afford dinner out. This word poverty means we can't even buy food for dinner. There's no food in the pantry. This is a poverty we don't know. We say I'm starving to death if we skip lunch. We say there's no food in the house if we were out of snacks. So how did they become so poor? This was a very rich city, Smyrna. How did the believers there become so poor? Well, there were trade guilds. If you wanted to be a baker, you were part of the baking guild. And so to be part of the guild, you had to pledge your allegiance to the patron god. You had to bow down to that god. And uh, they made sacrifices. They would take a bull and sacrifice it to their God. And then there'd be a feast and an orgy that would follow after that. And if a Christian decided not to participate, their business would be boycotted and they could not join the guild. You see, the guilds would make these offerings to idols and have these feasts and these or orgies. But when a Christian stepped out of paganism into faith, they couldn't participate in these pagan practices. Christians out of conscience and convictions would not eat the food sacrificed to idols, would not gorge themselves on food, and would not do the orgies. And the Christians were out of work, and they lived themselves in poverty. He says, I know your afflictions, and I know your poverty, but you are rich. Do you see that? But you are rich. The Christians at Smyrna did not live for this world. Their greatest treasure wasn't here. Their greatest treasure was Jesus. When they followed Jesus, they renounced their former life and they became obedient to Jesus. They looked for how they would obey. Their wealth was not in the coins in their pockets. Their wealth could not be stolen by a thief. Their wealth could not be eaten by a moth. Their wealth could not perish like the food in your refrigerator. Their wealth was their abundant life. Their hope was not in this world. Their joy had no bounds. Their peace transcended their troubles. Their love prompted them to share everything. They were generous with what they had. 
I imagine them in someone's home in Smyrna. And they've gathered in a place at at an odd hour. And uh, there in that fellowship, they sing hymns to Jesus. They read the precious scriptures. They pray for each other and encourage each other. But there's one who's missing because he's been arrested. There's another who's not there because his life has been taken. And I imagine them opening up their homes and seeing their brother in need, having no clothes and sharing their clothes with him, seeing their sister in need, having nothing to eat, becoming vulnerable, being generous with what they had. You know, you can be rich and very poor. And you can also be poor and very rich. And what Jesus is saying to this church is, though you are poor, you have an inheritance in heaven. You have a relationship with a very generous God. You see, you have very much because you're his and it shall never be taken from you. You are poor, but you are rich. Who is the person who is rich? They are rich with joy. They're rich with peace. They're rich with hope. They're rich because they have a relationship with the Savior. And I know the slander. I know the slander of those who call themselves Jews, but they are not because they are a synagogue of Satan. Paul would say it this way. There are You are not a Jew because you are circumcised or born into a Jewish family, but you are a Jew because your heart becomes circumcised, because you are right with God. Christianity at this time was illegal, and the Jews did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus, hunting down the Christians, arresting them? The Jews slandered the Christ followers. Since the Jews did not believe, they spoke against Christ. They slandered Christians. They hated Jesus, and they rejected Christ. You see, slander is the act of harming a person's reputation by telling one or more people something that is not true about that person. He calls this a synagogue of Satan. Once they refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah, Jesus makes one of the most shocking statements in all of Scripture. He says these Jews are not members of a synagogue, but it is not a synagogue of God. It's a synagogue of Satan. Well, how were they being slandered? How were the Christians being slandered? Christians were being slandered for immorality because they greeted one another with a holy kiss and they participated in what's called love feast. They were slandered because they were called atheists, not participating in Caesar worship. They were slandered for being not loyal to Caesar. You see, they suffered slander. These Smyrna Christians were being mercilessly slandered at the mouths and hands of Jews. The Jews joined with the heathen, putting Christians to death, trying to stamp out Christianity. The large Jewish population in Smyrna poisoned the minds of people against the Christians. And Jesus calls them out. He identifies with them. He says, they slander you, but they are not true Jews. They are in a synagogue, but it is not a synagogue of God. It is a synagogue of Satan. Now, I think what's happening worldwide 
is you have many mosques of extremists who are making hate speech against Christians. And there are attacks against Christians worldwide from those inciting their people to violence and making accusations against Christians. To illustrate the hatred the Jews had for Christians, the Jews joined with the heathens demanding Polycarp, who was the pastor of the church at Smyrna, be cast to the lions or burned alive. The Jews were the firm foremost in gathering wood for the fire. So when they decided that Polycarp would be burned at the stake, it was the Jews that gathered the wood to put beneath his feet. It was the time of the public games. And the cry came from the crowd, away with the atheists. Let Polycarp be burned at the stake. Now, his whereabouts were not known. So they tortured a servant girl who told them where Polycarp was. And one of the soldiers, a Roman soldier, captain, came to get Polycarp. On the brief journey to Smyrna, he pled with the old man. He said, what harm will it be, Polycarp, to say that Caesar is Lord and save your life? Polycarp was adamant that only Jesus was Lord. And he entered the arena and the proconsul gave him the choice. He said, you have the choice of cursing the name of Christ, making sacrifice to Caesar or death. And here's Polycarp's famous words. He said, 80 and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme the king who saved me? You threaten me with fire that burns quickly and is quenched. You do not know the fire that awaits the wicked in everlasting punishment and judgment. And Polycarp gave his life that day. What would Jesus say to the church of Smyrna concerning commands. The first is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. You are going to be tested. Your faith is going to be tested. It'll only last for 10 days. It'll be an intense time of persecution. But do not be afraid. You see, if we are prepared for suffering, we will not be swallowed up with fear. Pastor Brunson said he was not prepared for what he experienced in that Turkish prison. He heard on the news that the Turkish prosecutor was trying to give him three life sentences. That would mean he would never see his wife and children. He would be punished for crimes he never did. He'd be stuck there for the rest of his days. You see, the first tendency when we are afraid is to try to run away. What he says to the church is, do not be afraid. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that happened to me. I went over to Central African Republic, to the town of Bangui, a few years back. And I was preaching in their churches. We were helping a, a school over there and helping the church to be established. There's about 3,000 churches there that we work with. And so one morning I was out for a walk in the downtown part of Bangui, which is sort of bombed out because they've had so many civil wars there. And the civil war just had passed. And there was a soldier and he was carrying a machine gun. And he came up to me and he put his machine gun next to me and he said, terrorist. And I said, no, pastor. He said, T. 
terrorist and began speaking his language in French. I said, no, pastor. Suddenly, about five other men came beside him, all carrying automatic weapons. And they began saying things to me. Now, before I went over, there was a missionary. His name was Barb Wooler. And she said to me, says, Barb, whatever happens, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. And wouldn't you know it, for the half an hour this guy was interrogating me, assaulting me, I wasn't afraid. God had given me this peace beyond human understanding. Now, I get scared thinking about it, like telling you all about it. Like, it's like this guy had a gun. He can take me out. But it was in that moment, there was really no fear. And this is what Pastor Bronson said. When you face difficulties, fear will come. You have a choice of whether you're going to stand for God or stand for nothing. He said in the prison, if I hear from you, God, I will follow you. If you remain silent, I will follow you. If I don't hear from you, I will follow you. If you let me out of here, I will follow you. If you keep me here, I will follow you. If my life is taken, I will follow you. I will follow you no matter what happens in my life, no matter what pressures or afflictions or troubles come into my life. God, I'm going to follow you. He made a resolution of his will to not bow down, but to follow after Jesus. He said, I had to put all my doubts into a box. Later, God would answer the, my questions as to why. But for this moment, I simply needed to be obedient, to not be afraid. Secondly, he says, be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. Yesterday, Debbie and I went to a wedding of a 79-year-old woman. She married a 74-year-old guy. She kind of robbed the cradle. <laughs> it was kind of sweet to watch them, you know, say their vows to one another. And she promised that I will be faithful unto death, which may be relatively short for her. Hopefully she has a long life, but 79 years old, it's, you know, and it can happen. Some of you made those vows a long time ago to be faithful unto death. You know who we respect? We respect the soldier who soldiers it out when the going gets tough, right? And maybe that's the advantage that soldiers have is they're prepared for battle. They have to face battle-like situations in order to know how to stand up in the midst of that battle, not to run from the battle, but to stand up in the battle. We respect the athlete that perseveres when it's difficult making a contribution to their team. We respect the believer who is faithful for the days of their life. What, jo what John is saying to the church is, I'm going to give you the crown of life. If you are faithful, God will give you the crown of life. <laughs> now, this was something that athletes received at the end of the contest. You see, some discipline themselves for a perishable wreath, but we discipline ourselves to receive an imperishable wreath, the very crown of life. James said it this way, who per perseveres under trial when he withstood the trial 
receive the crown of life. God has a word for his church. What if Jesus were speaking to us in the 21st century? What do you think he would say to our church on this day? I am the first and I am the last. I am he who died and came to life again. I have resurrection power. I know your afflictions, church. I know the stuff you're dealing with. I know the pains in your life. I know the troubles you face. I know the obstacles you deal with. I know the trials that you're walking through. I know all your tribulations. I know also know your economic condition. I know your poverty or your wealth. And I know when you are slandered, when they say evil things about you. Jesus said it this way. Blessed are you when people insult you. <laughs> when they persecute you. When they say all manner of evil against you. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And great is your reward in heaven. He would say to you, do not be afraid of what's ahead. Be faithful even to death. And I will give to you the very crown of life. And you will overcome and not be hurt at all by the second death. That's what he would say. Pray with me. Father, <clears throat> thank you that you shoot straight with your church. When we need correction, you bring that correction. When we need a word of affirmation, God, you speak that as well. Because you love us so very, very much, you want your church to be healthy and strong. You want your church to have a voice. You want to expand our hearts to see the persecuted church worldwide and to pray for the persecutors, to pray for the advancement of this gospel, both in our city and into our nation, to this world, to be faithful, to be glad we live in this very moment and to rejoice that Jesus is our Savior, our greatest joy. Would you empower, Lord, and invigorate your church to not be afraid and to be faithful and then, God, we know you'll keep your promise to present that crown of life. Father, some here are really struggling in the midst of a trial. It's heavy. There's pressure from the outside, pressure on the inside. We wonder sometimes we'll even make it through this trial. But you're a God who sustains us and strengthens us and gives grace. Would you give grace to your people, Lord? Teach us to cry out to you, to come to you asking God for your help because we are a needy people. We, like the church at Smyrna, feel pressure, intense pressure, but we want to emit this beautiful fragrance just like the myrrh that was released, that God, people would smell the aroma of Christ through our lives. So, Father, would you Strengthen us in the midst of our trials and help us to be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God is doing some amazing things in this world. The fastest growing church in the world is not.
not in America, it's in Iran. There is a movement of God reaching women. It's a church without buildings, a church without structure, but God is reaching people in Iran out of Islam, out of Muslim, and are now coming to faith. It's estimated somewhere between one half million to three million believers in that country. We, we, we hear about the Ayatollah and the nuclear weapons. We just don't hear about what God is stirring up behind the scenes. Which takes me to this scripture in Isaiah, which says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. I know your name. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Fear not. Be faithful. Because God is up to amazing things in the world. Next week, the church at Pergamon will see them.